Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. It's so wonderful to be here with you this morning. We're uh, closing in on our finish of thinking biblically. Only a few more messages to go, counting this one. Uh, Lord willing, the uh, last Sunday in July, the fifth Sunday, our brother David Aruda will kick off our Summer Psalm series, which we'll do until about the uh, middle of September. And then we're going to get into the life of Moses. This morning, though, we want to think biblically about the mission and the ministry of the local church. What is the mission of the local church? What, is, what are the ministries, the primary ministries of the local church when we gather together like we do on Sunday mornings or midweek or if we had a Sunday evening service, when the church gathers together corporately, what are the activities, the ministries that the local church should primarily be engaged in? Now, when we discuss mission, we often have an incorrect understanding of what the mission of the local church is. This is something that has become very popular in Christianity to misunderstand what the mission of the church is, particularly towards the world. I want to illustrate something that I'm going to bring out using a couple of verses, three verses from a passage of Scripture that anyone who has read the Gospel of John, probably anyone who has committed their life to Jesus Christ, knows very well. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know this passage. You know it very well. If you are a believer in Christ, you have been born again. And when you read that passage, whether you consciously think about it or not, you realize that that passage at one point in time applied to you and that you needed to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. But after you are a believer in Christ and you read that passage, and many of you have probably read that perhaps hundreds of times in your Christian walk, since you've become born again, you don't look at it and think, oh boy, i got to be born again. And born again, and again, and again. You realize that that passage does not apply to you currently. But it did at one time, but no longer. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Once you're born again, you are born again. When we come to the mission of the local church, 
we need to understand something. That the mission of the local church to the world and the ministry of the local church to the world, that it is not primarily a collective ministry to the world. When we speak of the mission and ministry of the local church to the world, we are really speaking of the individual believers' responsibilities and duties to the world and to the unsaved. It is not primarily when we gather together. It is as individuals, as individual Christ followers, individual Christians, that our mission to the world and our ministry to the world is realized, is performed. I'm stressing this because in some Christian circles, not so much Grace Gospel Church, although there might be one or two who don't understand this, we cannot push our duties as Christians onto the local church. In the New Testament, other than Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters Christ dictated to seven churches in Asia Minor, those letters are addressed to the church as a whole. The instructions and commands and exhortations are addressed to the church as a whole. The other epistles in the New Testament though they're written to a church, when instructions are given, when exhortations are made, when there are commands, they're not addressed to the church as a whole. They're addressed to each and every individual believer in the church. Most of you know that the New Testament was originally written in the common Greek language that was spoken throughout most of the Roman Empire, the eastern part in particular. And that's where Israel was. The disciples all could read and speak Greek. The Lord could as well. In the Greek language, it is very clear because the spelling of a word is different, whether it's being used of a single individual or multiple individuals. The instructions, exhortations, and commands in Revelation 2 and 3, the form of the Greek word is singular. He's addressing the church as a whole. But in the rest of the New Testament epistles, when there are instructions and exhortations and commands, they are addressed to each and every individual, it's crystal clear. There's no mistaking it. So when we come to those instructions in the New Testament, those exhortations, those commands, it is our responsibility as individual believers, not the corporate, collective, local churches' responsibility to carry out. We can't push our duties up onto the local church. This will come, become a little clearer. 
However, when we speak of the mission and ministry of the local church to the individual believer in fellowship in that church, we are actually speaking about the goals and activities that the local church should engage in or engage in directed towards those in fellowship in the local church. What should we be doing when we gather together? What is our goal? Mission is the end goal, the objective. What is it that we're trying to achieve? Where should we be heading as a local church that gathers together? The ministries are what we should do to achieve that goal, that objective. And so we're going to look at this today under four headings, and if time permits, which it may not, I got up here about 15 minutes late and I don't want to run over, we may have to skip a fifth point. But the first four points are, are key here when we speak about the mission and ministry of the local church. We'll be begin by looking at the mission of the local church to the world, the mission of the local church to the believer in fellowship, and then we will look at the ministries of the individual believer to the world and the ministries of the local church to the believer. So let's get right into this. The mission of the local church believers to the world. Notice the believers, the individual believers, because that's to whom the commands and instructions are addressed. They're not addressed to the church as a whole. And the mission to the world is a gospel mission. Jesus spoke to them, the 11 apostles, to them gathered together, but his words applied to each of them individually. He spoke to them and by extension to all believers in Christ, because the need for evangelism is expressed in the rest of the New Testament. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And the word go, I have to stress this, because of the form of the sentence in the original Greek language, that word go is a command. It has the force of a command. Go and make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I commanded you. Someone needs to share the gospel with the lost. That's the duty of each individual believer. You may not preach the gospel like Billy Graham did in auditoriums and stadiums filled with tens of thousands of people. But everyone is called to be a gospel witness in one way or another. For some, it's to children in Sunday school. How blessed are those children to have a godly Sunday school teacher to lead them to Christ. It may be one-on-one -on -one personal evangelism. It may simply be passing out tracts that contain a gospel message. But in some way, shape, or form, we are all called upon to share the gospel in one way 
or another. I, I, I know sharing the gospel can be difficult. It, it's not always easy. No one likes to be rejected. But you're being rejected for the sake of Christ, as he was rejected by sinful man, by his creature. Look, I, I, I get it. It's scary. I don't like rejection. I, I've been spit on sharing the gospel. I've been physically shoved around sharing the gospel. And I have been ridiculed in so many different ways sharing the gospel. I encourage you, though, if this scared little mouse of a man can share the gospel, you can too. It might just be passing out a track. You, you want to know how much? I, I am afraid of attention, even if it's praiseworthy, or criticism. You know, my, my first year in college as an undergraduate, many, many years ago, decades ago, it was a state school. Your first year, you were going to get English or speech. Well, first semester, I pick English. What do you think they gave me? Speech. I'm afraid to do public speaking. I, I kid you not. My first speech, I walked in backwards in class with all my scuba gear on, my flippers too, the mask over my face, and I had inserts in the mask for corrective lenses, glasses. It hid part of my face. I drop the regulator out of my mouth, and I start to give my speech, and the teacher says, oh, you can take off the mask. I said, no, that's all right. I'll deliver the speech with it on. I'm going to tell you something else. A few weeks ago, our brother Gilson, in that incredible message that he gave, he mentioned my name. I was sitting in the back over there, where I normally sit if I'm not preaching. If you were to look at me, so sheepish I am, when he mentioned my name, even though it was praiseworthy, I became embarrassed and turned beet red. Happens all the time. I could tell you why it happened. The initial thing that set it all off back in school, but no need to. I still do. Now, the next time somebody mentions my name, you can glance over, but pay attention to the preacher. Don't watch what lovely shades of red I turn, okay? I remember when I first became a Christian. I could not pray during prayer time in Bible study. And I went to one of the elders... And I said to him, Herb, you know, I feel like I'm quenching the Holy Spirit. I, I, 
I, I feel like I should pray and thank God for saving me, you know, but I'm too scared. Can you pray to God and maybe in six months or so when you feel the timing is right, you can ask me to open or close in prayer? Here was a guy sitting down. His head was up here. He was a huge mountain of a man, college uh, football lineman when he was a little younger. And he puts his hand up on my shoulder and he says, don't worry about it, Paul. I got it covered. So I go and sit down. Bible study's about to start. And Herb says, I'd like to ask Paul Johnson to open in prayer. What happened in this six months? I mean, I need time to get used to this. Now I'm on the spot and I'm stuck. When God wants you to do something, he will give you the power to do it. Now, the power to do it doesn't always mean boldness. Paul says in writing to the Corinthians, I was with you with much weakness and fear and trembling. His knees were knocking together as he preached to the Corinthians. But he preached. He gave the gospel to them. I remember when I was stationed at Great Lakes Naval Base. I looked out the barracks window one day and I saw this big sign, Great Lakes, Jesus is your answer. I went across the street, it was a Christian servicemen center. And I, I lived there. They accepted me in. They had one leader and 12 racks for 12 different sailors. Sounds sort of biblical, right? So that's where, that's where I would sleep at night, and we would fellowship together, have our meals together, do things together. We would go out on the strip, as it was called, the road outside of the naval base, and we would share the gospel. I remember my first time. Payday is when all the prostitutes and drug dealers come out. And the young guy, I was only a couple years older than him, he was showing me, he was told uh, by the man who ran the Christian Servicement Center, show Paul the ropes. Give him all the do's and don'ts. And so we go down the strip trying to pass out tracks. Not too many people took them. Nobody wanted to talk. They all either wanted to sell something or buy something. And it wasn't the gospel. But we tried. We get down to the end of the street. There's a crossing street. And we turn around to go back. And they must have gotten out of their car. There was a man standing, about six foot nine inch tall. He was tall. From his appearance, which I couldn't tell from 150, 200 feet away, but as I got closer I could, he was probably half Hispanic, half African American. On either side, and he was dressed in a nice suit. No tie, but it was a nice suit. I could make it out as I got closer. On either side of him, two man monsters. They could have been NFL linemen. 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, in the 300-pound range, dressed in 
immaculate suits with ties on. And the fellow who took me out said, oh, wow, that's the kingpin. He runs all the drug and prostitution in Great Lakes in North Chicago. He's made it clear if anyone preaches the gospel to him, tries to talk to him, give him a track, he's going to have him whacked. Don't go near him. Oh, look, I wasn't married. I had no one counting on me. I thought, he's going to have me killed? Is that a good reason not to share the gospel? My mother might have shed a few tears. She would have. But there was no one else that relied on me. So I immediately turned and, and started walking towards him. Now there's crowds of people coming down, shoulder to shoulder. In case you haven't noticed, I'm not very big. And I was 50 pounds lighter then. People don't get out of my way. I have to get out of their way. And if I walk against the flow, even if I can make my way through, I'm getting banged in the shoulders. I don't make much progress. It was like the Lord parted the Red Sea. Every step I took, people got out of my way. This doesn't happen. The people coming down would go around the kingpin and his two bodyguards and reform. And as the people closest to him part, there's me standing in front of him, reaching way up with a gospel track, telling him to repent and trust in Jesus. He's like shocked. Where did this guy come from? And I'm hand, I, I have this track that I'm shaking in his face as I give him the gospel. The bodyguard on his left, my right, takes the track, starts to open it and read it. The kingpin elbows him and says, put that away. And he puts it in his jacket pocket. A police officer, probably on the take, probably paid by the kingpin, he comes over to me and says, no loitering. Now, those three aren't, haven't moved in a while. Move along. So I move along. Next payday, I come out early before the street is filled. And what do I see? Down on the corner where I, previous payday, I turned around. I see this white Mercedes Benz with black tinted windows. You can't see through any of them. But that was the kingpin's car. So I walk down to the passenger rear window, because he's probably in the back, and I got a gospel track. I put it up against there, and in a loud voice, I'm sharing the gospel with him. I don't know if he's pointing a gun at me, because I can't see through the window. After a few seconds, the car starts up and drives away. Next payday, that car, instead of being on the same side, on this end of the block, it's on the opposite side of the street, about 100 feet down. I walk down, I cross the street with a gospel track in my hand. They must have seen me coming. They started the car and drove off. Were they afraid of me? I mean, who's afraid of me? Okay. You know, Claire Ruggiero. I mean, 
She's, she's in her 70s. If you ever see her and I throw down in the fellowship hall and we're wrestling, the smart money's on Claire, okay? No one's afraid of me. Well, struck fear in his heart. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the God with which he has to do. He can't avoid God. I, I, I say this to capture your attention with a, a, a story. Any of you who know me know that's not me. I'm just a wimpy old man now. I probably wouldn't give him the gospel now. But I did then for whatever reason. And I was with you with much weakness and fear and trembling. You can share the gospel. You can make disciples. Making disciples begins with the gospel and then water baptism and then teaching them. You can't escape teaching. I know some people think, oh, teaching. You know, it's like I'm back in school. I don't want to hear this. I want to be entertained. I want to sing praises for an hour and be uplifted. Well, a lot of that's emotional. You can't escape teaching in the New Testament. It's the means by which God accomplishes his goal in the life of a believer. But it begins with the gospel, preaching the gospel to the lost. That's our individual mission to the, to the world, to the unbeliever. How about the mission of the local church to the believer in fellowship? The church, corporately gathered together, does have a mission to each and every individual in fellowship. Paul makes this clear. He says, of this church, we're talking about the church and what the mission of the church is for the believer. Of this church, I was made a servant or a minister for your benefit to fulfill the word of God. And how is the word of God fulfilled what brings it to its fullness that God desires in the life of each individual believer in the local church? How is that done? We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man, and that's a generic term, man and woman, complete in Christ. That was the purpose that Paul labored in the church. He labored in the gospel to the unsaved, but he labored in proclaiming Christ, fulfilling the word of God, teaching every person with all wisdom, not his words, but Christ's words. What is the purpose? What is the end goal of these ministries? So that, here's the purpose and the final ultimate result of that teaching, that we may present every man complete, mature, it could be translated, mature in Christ, a mature, spiritually-minded believer. This is why teaching is necessary. This is why Paul did it. If teaching was unnecessary, then Paul was wrong. To focus on teaching. 
But of course he wasn't wrong. The mission of the local church, of Grace Gospel Church and every true local church of Christ to those believers in fellowship is to teach in such a way that you can see the value of God's word for yourself and you can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to a mature believer. What about the ministry? Let's move on from mission. We've seen the mission of the individual believers to the world. It's a gospel mission, an evangelistic mission. We've seen the mission of the local church as a whole to the individual believers to teach and help them to grow to spiritual maturity. Now, how are these missions to the world and to the individual believer and fellowship in the church, how are these missions accomplished? What should be done to achieve that end goal and accomplish the mission? Let's begin by looking at the ministry of the local church believers. Individually, what is the ministries, what are the ministries that we should engage in toward the world? The mission is to evangelize them. How do we do that? We begin with a ministry of Christ-like example. Matthew 5.13. This is dealing with the kingdom of God. If you see how Matthew chapter 5 starts, and Jesus saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, what? The kingdom of heaven. He's talking about his kingdom. He had said this regarding himself, the, spirit, the kingdom of God is among you. Christ himself is the kingdom of God. Yes, he will establish an earthly millennial kingdom upon the earth, but there's a spiritual form of his kingdom in which he rules as king over his people. In that context of his people being part of the kingdom of heaven, he says this to them. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is good for nothing. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Every single believer is the salt of the earth. At least we ought to be. Salt was used for three primary purposes in our Lord's day. Did you know that? Salt was a preservative. It retarded and in some cases prevented decay and rot. They didn't have refrigeration. They used salt on their meats, for example, to keep them from spoiling and going rotten. We should be a preservative on the earth. We should retard the rottenness of sin by our testimony by the holy life that we live. Salt also adds flavor. We should add flavor to the life of everyone that we come in contact with. The Roman salt was also valuable. 
In some parts of the Roman Empire, particularly where Israel is, Roman soldiers were paid in salt. That's what they were paid in. Salt was so valuable that it could be traded for anything else that they needed. He says, if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? See, there were two ways in which the ancient peoples would gather salt. So, for example, near the Dead Sea, which is extremely salty, they would pour water onto rocks. It was so hot and arid there. Temperatures could be 120 degrees and dry. That water would evaporate, leaving various salts behind. The other way salt was gathered, and that's what he's referring to here, is there were salt mines. You may have seen a, a movie uh, of the Roman Empire and slaves mining salt in a salt mine. It would be a little piece of rock that they would either dip into hot water or place in boiling water, and the salt that was in that rock would leach out. It would be dissolved by the hot water. And the rock has become tasteless. There's no salt left in it. It's all gone into the water. What would they do with that, with that rock? The Romans, their most incredible thing the Romans did was build roads. Those roads enabled the gospel to go out all across the Roman Empire. They would take these rocks with no more salt in them and they would use them for the surfaces of roads. They would put it down, crush it, and it would make a road. That's, it was thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Everyone who heard these words of Jesus knew what you now know about salt. But we are supposed to be the salt of the earth. It was a preservative, salt was a preservative against decay and rottenness. We should be a preservative against the decay of sin in the life of individual people by sharing with them the truths of Scripture that can change them and help them to have an abundant life. Besides the ministry of holy example, a little help, please. It's not, not operating. Next slide. Please, the next slide. The next ministry we have to the world is the ministry of public example. After he says this, Jesus Christ says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Therefore, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It is a public example. There is no secret service in the Christian faith. There are no closet Christians. Again, I understand. It can be hard to say that you're a Christian and be ridiculed for your faith in Christ. 
You mean you believe those silly fairy tales in the Bible you might hear? I've heard it. But I guarantee you, if I can do it, you can do it too. It doesn't matter who you are. Even if it's just hand somebody a gospel tract, you need to read this. God loves you. God wants to be your father. Whatever words you use, you can do it. We are to be the light of the world. We're not to be hidden under a bushel. Lastly, our ministry is one of evangelism. It is sharing the gospel to the world. That is the primary way. It's not a social gospel. It's not simply giving food to the world, giving food to the poor. Jesus Christ said, the poor you will always have with you. Doesn't mean we should ignore the poor, as we'll see shortly. But we should help the poor. The best help we can give them is the gospel. If we do anything else, like food baskets from our food pantry, let that simply be a vehicle, the basket, to share the gospel with others. The food will feed them for a week. The gospel will feed their souls for eternity. He says to Timothy, but you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was not an evangelist like Paul was. But Paul tells him, that doesn't absolve you. It's not the local church's responsibility. It is your individual responsibility. Fulfill your ministry. Every one of us has a ministry, a stewardship in the gospel. For some, it may be larger. Like our brother Fred. He goes to parks and shares the gospel with as many people as he can find. He brings our brother Mark sometimes. That's a broad ministry. But for, I know another brother. He likes to go for walks, whether it be down in Newport or anywhere. And he brings a stack of gospel tracts. And as he goes along, if he sees a spot where he can fold it a little and stick it in there so it'll stay, that's what he does on his way out. He puts gospel tracts in different places where people can see them. When he comes back, what does he see? Some of them are gone. People have taken his tracks. How many people are saved that way? He doesn't know. I don't know. God will save whom he wishes to save in the way he wishes to save. And he can use simple things like gospel tracts. When we speak about the ministry of the local church to the believer in fellowship, we want to see what are the primary activities or ministries that the local church should be engaged in. This is not a total list, but it is the primary ones. The four primary ministries of the local church to the believer in fellowship. When we gather together as a church, these four things 
should be done for you to build you up in your most holy faith. The gathering of the local church is not primarily to preach the gospel to the unsaved. It's not the church's responsibility. As we saw, it's the individual believer's responsibility to do that. But we do preach the gospel here because there may be someone who is not saved. As well as believers love to hear the gospel and be reminded of what Christ did to them, for them. But there are four primary ministries. And we read about it in the book of Acts. So then those who had received Peter's word were baptized. They became believers in Christ. They repented as he told them in verse 38. They put their faith and trust in Messiah Jesus. They were willing to be baptized, to be seen by all as turning from Judaism, turning to Christ. They were willing to receive the persecution that would go along with it. And what did they do after that? They were continually devoting, continually. It wasn't something that they fit in every once in a while. They were continually devoting. And you know what the Scripture says? We'll look at what the four are in a moment. But the end result of this continual devotion is the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you think this continual devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, do you think that had anything to do with the end result? The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Of course it does. These are the four primary ministries of the local church. And notice what's the first one, the apostles' teaching. The Word of God. We just can't escape it. Even though some of us might like to, you can't escape it. If you want the Lord's full blessing on your life, you will be in God's Word. You will listen to it on audio if that's the most you can do. Read it. Start with five or ten minutes. Build on that if you, if you can. Memorize some scripture if you can do that. You don't have to memorize a lot. You find a verse that really speaks to your heart, write it out on a three-by-five card and memorize it. Keep them in your car if you spend a lot of time in your car. They're right there. Don't do that while you're driving, okay? There's probably laws against that. The Apostles' Doctrine, to fellowship. It is so important to build one another up in their holy faith. This week, if you can, give a brother or sister in Christ a phone call. Ask them, what's the Lord doing in your life this week? What are you learning? What has God shown you about living the Christian life? Do you have any prayer requests? Share with them your request. Share with them what God's doing in your life. Share with them what you've learned in God's Word. And I don't just mean academically. I just mean how the Word of God in truth has shown you how you ought to live and the value of it. For example, trusting in Christ instead of fretting and worrying. 
share with them the verses that God used to drive that truth home to you. The breaking of bread. As I mentioned to you, the early church met all day long on Sunday, from the morning into the evening. And they would have the Lord's Supper. They would have multiple teaching sessions throughout the day, different individuals teaching. And they would have the Lord's Supper every Sunday, but they would also have, connected with that Lord's Supper, an agape feast, a love feast, a communal meal together. After all, they were gone from their home a whole day. They needed to eat. Most of them walked there, and they're going to have to walk back home. That's the breaking of bread and prayer, which is so important. And a lot of prayer can grow out of the apostles' teaching, confessing our sins to God, thanking him for his blessings upon us that we learn from God's word, beseeching him for his help. Also from fellowship, as I stated, we can do what it says in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend, of his brother in Christ. I want to point out something. There's a major difference between biblical fellowship and Christians merely socializing. There is nothing wrong with Christians merely socializing, watching a golf tournament or a football game or baseball game. Or Women are much better at biblical fellowship than men are. You ever go to a doctor's office and you see there's, I've seen this, a couple men sitting five, six feet apart, two women sitting three or four feet apart. They don't know each other. They didn't come together. And the women are talking. They're talking about raising children or something about the home. Okay, they readily talk. The men sit there. 20 minutes goes by. One guy reaches down and picks up Golf Digest. Now they're talking. Men can learn a lot from women. You can learn a lot from listening to women pray. I love the prayers of our sister, Kim and Allie, when they give the announcements and open our time in prayer. The heart of women come out. They are created in God's image. Male and female, he created them. He made mankind generically in the image of God and then specifically male and female in God's image. There's a difference. There's times to socialize as Christians and there's times for biblical, Christ-centered fellowship. True fellowship is focused on God and Christ and the Word of God. That is biblical fellowship. So there's a difference. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't socialize. But evaluate your time together with Christian family and with other believers. How often do you truly have biblical fellowship focused on God and Christ and the Word of God? And how many times do you just, are you just socializing? Hopefully there's a balance there. I'm not going to tell you what it should be, 50-50 or whatever. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave that to you and the Holy Spirit to work out. 
There is also a ministry in the local church besides those four primary ones, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Notice what was missing from that list. Music. Certainly, music ministers to our hearts and souls as Christians. It does. I'm blessed, sometimes moved to tears by the music ministry. But it wasn't listed. Why? Because music primarily, while it does minister to my heart and soul, while it does get me ready to hear God's word, when David and Gilson preach, are preaching, it does all that. That's not the primary purpose of music. It's not to make me feel good. It's not to produce happy emotions. It's to worship God and Christ. That's the primary. These are the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer is what the church ministers to you, how the church serves you. Musical worship, while it does bless us, it does. That's not the primary purpose. It's to worship God in Christ. And so it's not listed amongst the four, but it's very important. In fact, it's so important New Testament scholars will tell you that there are several places in the New Testament, in Paul's writings and in Hebrews, where they believe those verses were actually, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul recording lyrics from early Christian hymns. You can ask me about it afterwards. I'll show you a couple. But there is very likely in the New Testament actual early hymns that the first century Christians sang to the Lord. Music is important. The church has always recognized that. There's another key ministry. We don't know when the Lord Jesus is going to come. And so every local church, if it's to continue on successfully, must have a generational ministry to the believers in fellowship in the local church. It is always wrong for some bald, gray-bearded old man to be a pulpit hog and not let anyone else preach because he fears that, oh, they might preach better and maybe i got to go find something else to do. Walmart greeter or something. I don't know. But you need to have this generational ministry. The church is to build up the younger generation, prepare them to take over leadership. Our brother David participates in the elders' meeting. David has opportunities to preach. Hopefully, as as the circumstances of Joey's life changes, he can be up here more, and I can be listening more. But there, are, there needs to be this generational ministry. You know, this is true, not just of this area. I, I know it elsewhere, that when a church has one individual preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, something happens to that man. He dies unexpectedly. God calls him to a new church. You ever notice how they're always called to a bigger church that pays them more money, never to a smaller church where they're can be paid less, but the need is greater. They're called to another church. Uh, They're taken ill, or they step down unexpectedly from 
ministry, or they retire unexpectedly, or they're caught up in a, in a scandal like adultery or embezzlement. No matter what the reason, when a church loses that one key man, every single church suffers. Usually, numbers drop to about half. I asked our brother Fred Poole, and he's been in Grace Gospel Church and familiar with this area for over 40 years. And I asked him, Fred, you know, I've heard of this, I've seen this elsewhere, is that true in this area? And he told me, yes, every single time that happens, the church numbers dwindle by about a half. Because there is no other familiar face. There isn't that younger generation that's ready to step in and proclaim the truths of God's word and shepherd the church. Here we have four generations. Paul was not just concerned about himself and his young protege, Timothy. While Paul expected Christ to return in his lifetime, he also knew Christ might not. And there's four generations here. I've put red numbers. The things which you have heard from me the first generation, Paul. You have heard the second generation, Timothy. These things entrust to faithful men, the third generation, who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations there. This is why at Grace Gospel Church, we want the Lord to come before this message is finished. Maybe you more than I. I don't know. But we want the Lord to come as soon as possible, even so come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we cry out, as Paul writes in Corinthians. Come, Lord. We know he may not in our lifetime. And so we plan ahead so that both financially and spiritually, Grace Gospel Church will always be spiritually healthy. So today, are you thinking biblically about the mission and ministry of the local church? I hope and pray that you are. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the clarity of your word, that it leaves nothing to doubt, that you lay out for us so clearly a blueprint for success for our individual lives and for the life of our church. We thank you so much for it. We pray, dear God, that you would bless this church, that this church would be a lampstand, a burning and shining light for Jesus Christ, and that individually, we too might be lights in the world, lights that shine forth your glory. We ask all this for your name's sake. Amen.